Hello, this is Jackie Shea. Welcome to Too Sick and Naked Healing Out Loud, where we vulnerably discuss the ups and downs of healing from illness. Each episode, I interview a brave guest who has extensive experience with illness and or wellness, and hopefully we will leave you inspired to warrior on as well as highly informed about something new. Today is such an exciting, exciting episode for anyone in the Lyme disease world. Um, I have Cindy Anderson here, who's a feminist uh, filmmaker and activist. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jackie. And Cindy is such an um, instrumental part of my journey with Lyme. And um, I met you because you had the punk singer is your documentary, and it was on Netflix at the time that I had just started to get real, real sick. And a bunch of people, anytime I told them I had Lyme disease, would say, have you seen the punk singer mm-hmm. <laughs> about Kathleen Hanna? And I would say, no. And then finally I watched it. And then finally a friend was like, I know Cinny. I know the director of that, that movie, that documentary. Um, let me put you in touch with her. And you were just so gracious about helping. And I know that you are such an activist in the world of Lyme and you help so many people. Tell us why. Why are you such an activist? You must have been really sick. <laughs> uh, well, first, um, I'm kind of wondering who it was. Wait, who introduced us? Was it Jason. Jason? Jason. And he was such a good friend to you. At that moment, he was so concerned about you. He and is such a good friend and, and, and so helpful. He got very concerned when I was like 95 pounds. Yeah. And I remember the day he came to me and he was like, he was visibly upset, and he was like, "Will you please talk to my friend?" I was like, "Oh my God, please, of course, of course." Mm-hmm. And how did I come to be like a, a kind of quote unquote Lyme activist? I mean, I think of myself more as a feminist activist, and it right. wouldn't have gone in this direction had I not gotten really sick. So, of course not. Yeah. So the question is really like. What's your story? Yeah. Um, but I do know, actually, that you, that the punk singer is not a documentary about Lyme disease. That's correct. And what happened was while you were filming it, Kathleen Hanna had gotten really sick, right? Mm-hmm. And it just kind of turned into a documentary that had, you know, the ending had to do with Lyme disease. And you actually got sick during the editing of it during during production so kind of the story of that in a nutshell was that Kathleen had been was a friend of mine and had been sick for several years at that point and had kind of dropped out of her career and for those people who don't know who she is she's a a feminist musician artist um very instrumental uh, third wave feminism movement um, of the 90s. Uh, She was in a band, Bikini Kill, and then um, did a solo project called Julie Ruin, and then eventually a a band called La Tigra, which is when we were introduced. Um, She ended up uh, getting increasingly sick with strange symptoms, and they would come and go, and she was touring the world, and... um, she had seen a ton of doctors, and it, you know it's the story that a lot of us know. She just couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. Um, eventually, she just had to quit the band. And um, before we started making the documentary, she was getting increasingly sick, and uh, again, couldn't figure out what it was. And I thought it was 
really important that she that her story be told as an artist um um but from her and not through other people and you know as we know we have a really bad habit of women's stories not being documented and being kind of disappearing and were you so, concerned she was going to die um is that why you we yes yes I mean, it's, it's really hard to say that, um, but yes. You know, I asked that really bluntly, but I mean, that's, that's what it sounds like when you say you wanted to document, you wanted her to be the one to tell her story. And it sounds like you yeah. felt like that needed to happen sooner rather than later. I, I mean, I heard the concern from, I mean, I knew from Kathleen how sick she was and I saw from her husband um, how concerned he was and her friends around her were very concerned. And as... You know, she didn't know she was going to live or die at that point because she felt like she was dying and nobody was figuring it out. And so we were like, let's 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 make this documentary. So halfway through production, um, about halfway through production, Kathleen finally got this diagnosis and she was diagnosed with late stage Lyme disease. And it was a huge relief for everybody involved, mostly Kathleen and then secondarily her husband and then her friends and anybody who cares about her work. Um, but I was really shocked by that diagnosis. I thought, whoa, what, isn't that from a tick? Like I had no idea. I knew nothing about Lyme. I don't even know that I'd ever really heard. I mean, I'd heard of it. I knew enough to know that it was a, something you, that you got from a tick. Because you was were living it. in New York at the time, weren't you? I so, was. Yeah, but in, in the city. So it's not, right. it's obviously not as talked about in the urban city itself yeah. but yeah. you know it even I grew up going to Connecticut and I knew about Lyme but I had no idea that it was like you know fade, deadly yeah I thought it was something that affected your knee <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean you got a little bit of knee pain you got the Lyme disease exactly right so um and to try to make a long story short to move on from the punk singer um in a very ironic and for a while shameful and embarrassing twist um, a couple of months after Kathleen was diagnosed, I ended up in an emergency room, and it kind of seemed like every part of my body was failing. Um, my doctor I was talking to on the phone before I went to the hospital who was like, if you don't get in a car service and go to the hospital, I'll call an ambulance to your house. Um because we weren't sure if I was having a heart attack. By the time I got to the hospital, I was showing signs of um, what we know now is kind of like a little bit of Bell's palsy, like my left side of my mouth was drooping and my words were slurring. Um, but that it wasn't like that before I left, you know, before I left for the hospital. And then once I was in the ER, it was almost, it was almost like a wave building. And so this wave was building and all of these symptoms, like one by one, head to toe, every system of the body, while I was in the emergency room, started building and building and building and building. And I was terrified. I've never been more terrified in my life. And, you know, I never even considered Lyme disease. I was like, I, I think in that moment, I was like, I must have some kind of cancer that is, like, I didn't know. Um, and in the emergency room, the treatment was really brutal. Um, they, you know, they just couldn't figure out why I came in with symptoms of, you know, something having to do with the heart. 
Um, and then I was in excruciating pain and then I had a migraine and then my fingers hurt and then my hips hurt and they were just like, you know, weren't sure if I was drug seeking or if I was crazy or, um, but they ended up admitting me to the hospital for several days. They did every kind of test that they could think of doing. I, I do not think they did a Lyme test. I don't think that came across their radar. Um, but my partner and at the time. And what year was it? This was in 2010. Oh, yeah, that's not long enough ago for them to have not done a line test. Right. And, you know, and my partner at the time, I remember Kathleen was in Hawaii, and my partner at the time was texting with Kathleen while I was in the ER, and Kathleen was like, that sounds like Lyme, you know. Um, anyway, it was probably things got much worse after I was released from the hospital, um, I remember. any ideas where you might have gotten contracted? Lyme? Yeah, well, in hindsight, I have a lot of different ideas, and I think, and I think I'm not alone on this. I, uh, I kind of think that I've been infected more than once. Yeah, know? I have that had that thought too about me for yeah, sure. Yeah, because I, you know, as I started going through my medical history, it was really clear that I had. You know, 15 years ago, when I was living in Northern California and um, coming back to San Francisco from a recent, like, from a camping trip, I had gotten this, like, full-body rash that now I know is a Bartonella rash. Um, Streaky. Yes. Right? Streaky lines. Yes. Mm. And at the time, I was drinking a lot and partying a lot. I was, like... 20-something punk San Francisco artist person. And I was like, oh, my God, I must have just done some bad drugs or something, you sure. know. And I had strange symptoms, like, on and off for, like, 15 years. But something that your listeners won't know is that I'm, like, kind of consider myself a gender nonconforming person. I identify as a woman uh, purely out of politics, but interpersonally, I, you know, I feel more like a, like a guy, you know, mm -hmm. um, I'm not a trans person, but, um, you know, I am just never really settled into a woman's body, you know, into my adult woman body. And so it wasn't very body aware. It was very checked out. So anytime I did, and I was trashing myself, you know, so anytime I did have, any kind of health concerns or body things going on, I really just push them away. Um, so, right, that makes sense. Yeah. So back to the back to the post hospital thing, and when I was making the punk singer, um, it, it's kind of seemed like any symptom that I had been experiencing and dismissing for the ten years, fifteen years previous to that, all came together at one time, and it crashed. Yeah, it sounds horrifying. And when it crashed. It was completely horrifying. Like, I remember um, after getting out of the hospital and I was like, okay, maybe I'm starting to feel better. Um, I was trying to write a check for a utility bill. And I sat in front of that checkbook for over an hour. And I was putting my name in where the date was. And we was, talked about this. Do you remember? No, I don't remember us talking about it, but yeah. Because that was because I was so convinced, like many people with Lyme, that I didn't have it as bad 
as other people and that like maybe it wasn't Lyme after all. Maybe I had made it up in my head, even though tests came back positive, even though I had the rash, even <laughs> though I was rolling around in naked and leaves. Like maybe I just was, you know, seeking attention or who knows. And mentally we, ill. Mentally and, ill. Yeah. We sat down. And I was telling you all of this and you were like, I felt that way. I felt that way. I felt that way. How could it be? And I said to you, I know it's crazy. I couldn't remember how to write out a check the other day. And, and we, and you were like, oh, you know, we had, and I was like, I just couldn't remember where the, where the numbers went and where the name went and where I was supposed to sign. And do you sign a check? And what was the date? And like, how do you write? And it was just this amazing moment yeah. of like, how could you be making that up? Right. Like, I did the same thing. Right. We, we're not both making up the same story. Right. I remember seeing a neurologist and telling her this like pretty famous, renowned no- neurologist who um, had a specialty in Lyme disease, um, which was also very confusing. And I'll tell you why. Um telling me basically taking a look at my history and remember it was hard to get an appointment with her it was one month post this hospital visit things were getting worse I couldn't write the check I was reversing things in my mind so things would happen like I would go to the bathroom and which you know could take me 10 minutes to get to the bathroom to go to the bathroom Mm. because I had to hold on to the walls and I was so weak um and I would put the toilet seat down Mm. And then pull my pants down and like pee, start to pee on top of the toilet seat. Like everything was reversing. Wow. And it was terrifying. And I remember telling some of these things to this neurologist. And as I was telling her some of the things of why I was coming to see her, she was like flipping through the mound of paperwork that my ex and I had to fill out. And she was like checking off all the things. She was like, okay, so the history, um, a mother, father, both alcoholic, mental illness in the family, um, alcoholism, a grandfather, um, both sides of your family, grandmother, mental illness of the grandmother on your mother's side, your mother. Um, it, it was just like, I was like, why is she focusing in on this? You know, pretty quickly she just put that paperwork aside she was like oh and you're also an addict I was like I'm in recovery I've been in recovery for a long time she was like you know this sounds like stress to me oh my god and you a know, Lyme specialist yeah wow so um <laughs> it was year it, it was a couple of years after that that I really started uh, to research that particular doctor and as it turns out you know people get told that it's stress or that it's in their head or that they're depressed or there's nothing really wrong with them all the time with this disease and with many other diseases. It happens more to women than it happens to men. We know this. Um, and it, it becomes enraging. Like in that moment when I left that neurologist uh, doctor appointment, I was so upset because I felt like I was really going to go to somebody who was going to help, you know. Um, and she suggested stress as the number one thing. And it was delivered in a way, you know, so much of the problem of that appointment was her delivery and her bedside manner. And it wasn't until I started making the current documentary that I'm making now that I decided to go back and research this doctor, this famous neurologist who was at Stony Brook University. Um, a couple of years later, 
as I started making my current film, I started to research her. And I had to distance myself as somebody who had become incredibly sick to be able to listen to her. Um, so I was watching her talks on YouTube that she was giving to medical students. And I was like, actually, this woman is brilliant. Mm. And she does know so much about Lyme. And, she, and this was really hard to reconcile at the moment because this person I felt like had just done such a disservice to me. Um, but as I listened to her further and further, I was like, she knows a lot, but she also has really old beliefs about things. She has, you know, funding conflicts of interests uh, pertaining to chronic Lyme mm. and, and an investment to say that uh, persistent chronic Lyme doesn't exist. Um, and at that point, I was late stage. I didn't know anything about chronic. Um, she is a scientist. And I really feel like this woman is brilliant, but does not should not be seeing patients. Mm. You know what I mean? I was like, huh. So this this person should be existing. You know, she should continue her studies and her research. She's super smart. Um, but just horrible with patients like right. th the bedside manner was horrible like she did not know how to talk to me and I think that that's the case with a lot of really brilliant medicine people is that you know we're they're they're trying to do it all they're trying to work with patients and be researchers and sometimes that doesn't mix right know? that's why nurse practitioners end up being so much better at the bedside manner thing right um but will you tell us because i think you know better than than most people why is it not recognized persistent chronic lyme why is chronic lyme not recognized in the medical community what is it about the 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 money and the funding okay so let me back up to just say with the punk singer when i finally was diagnosed just a couple of months after that hospital visit i what I immediately went to was shame because my subject in the documentary I was making in the punk singer Kathleen Hanna had Lyme disease. And I was like, this sounds like a bad senior thesis film. Like you catch your subject's disease, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that felt, you know, you know, in hindsight, I can like look back at that and have a lot of compassion for myself at the time. But I was super hard on myself at the time. I was just like, I remember when I was diagnosed, I was like, no, you have to give me something else. Like, I can't have that. My friend has that. I'm yeah. making this film about this person. Like, It looks bad on paper. And yeah. I don't want to, I totally understand that. And I'm hard on myself about pretty much wherever anything I can be hard on myself about. But like that, you know, I totally understand why you went there. Because yeah. I think I would have been like, um, it, sounds it sounds ridiculous. Ridiculous. It sounds like I'm making it up. Yeah. So you can't give me that diagnosis. Right. Um, and I remember saying, like, to my nurse practitioner at the time, I was like, I, it must be a hypochondriac. And she was like, well, here's the thing about hypochondria is that people who have hypochondria don't think they're hypochondriacs. Right. And so it's an important thing to remember. It is actually a real, you know, it's, it's a real diagnosis. And generally one of the hallmarks of it is that the patient does not believe that they have hypochondria. So cross that one off the list. And then um, to the question of chronic Lyme um, and why we have such a hard time with chronic and persistent Lyme in the medical uh, community and the patient community and why there is this war, you would think that I would have an answer to this by now because I've been working on a documentary about women with late stage Lyme 
called So Sick, and I've been working on that for three years now. And the amount of research that I've done and the amount of people that I've talked to and experts and doctors and reading through, you know, studies coming out of the NIH and reading statements from the CDC and digging and digging and digging. And I can't really point to one thing that's like, oh, that's what it is. This is why they don't believe, this is why this medical community doesn't believe in chronic or persistent Lyme. Or is it a cover-up? Is it a conspiracy? And the thing that I've been able to come up with is a little bit mind-blowing. And I think that what the answer is is that it's complex. Mm. We don't know, we live in a system that was built by designed by men for men and that has to do with our body systems and our healthcare system and our medications our testing our diagnostics but it also has to do with communication it also has to do with relationships and when you take something that is complex like communication and you put it into a system that was built by people who don't know how to communicate you're going to have a disaster. And so we don't know how to talk about complexity in this country. And I think that chronic Lyme disease and late, well, there's two different things. There's late stage Lyme disease. That's when you have it, but you don't catch it. Or you caught it, but the treatment wasn't accurate. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long enough. And it progressed, which I believe was the case for you. Yeah, that was the, that is the case for me. I caught it very quickly. Yeah. I was on antibiotics within the first month of uh, getting of getting bit. If I was in fact only bit once, that right. is to say, um, and the antibiotics were not an effective treatment for me without knowing about what was happening in my immune system underneath. Uh, right. And I stayed on antibiotics for almost a year, just which ended up only hurting me in the long run because there were pieces missing that mm -hmm. I opted to not look for because I wanted the antibiotics to work. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, but it's important, too, to mention that, like, uh, two things. First, it's an epidemic, right? So there are 300,000 new cases a year. 330,000 is what the CDC admits at this point. That's their estimate. And, and the CDC <laughs> admits that, but they don't believe in chronic Lyme. Right. So there's or two late things. stage Lyme. Right. So there's two things. Right. They do believe in late stage Lyme. Okay. But they, because they know that there are stages, there's, there's like, it could also be called third stage. So it's acute second stage and third, you know, third stage, which is late stage. And mm -hmm. you can get to late stage within months. Right. You know, when it's when it's not diagnosed. Um, the problem is, is that if say you you go 10 years without being diagnosed, you don't know that you had it. That is a very complex case of late stage Lyme that went undiagnosed for 10 years. The problem comes in with the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control. Um, that they recommend the same treatment usually for somebody with complex late-stage Lyme 
um, as they do for somebody with acute Lyme. And so that's making this assumption that it hasn't been uh, multiplying and growing and spreading throughout your entire body for that 10 years. Which is absolutely what it does. Which is crazy to think that it wouldn't right. do that. There's no, there's no reason to believe that it wouldn't. Um, so that's one thing. Um, beyond that, what they recommend, and they're starting to get a little bit better about this, um, that 28 days of antibiotic treatment, anything past that, they call, quote, unquote, the aches and pains of daily living, which I love that one kills me. They also call it something else. They call it post... Post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome. Post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome is what they call it after you do antibiotics and it doesn't work exactly. for 28 days or whatever and you're still sick. Yeah. And so, but then, and then there's something that a lot of us know and what's going on with our body, which is a chronic Lyme disease, which means that we're not adequately eradicating the disease out of our body with the treatments that are available. There's that, and then there's the complexity of the co-infections that these ticks carry. So, you know, there's a lot of what we don't know. But rather rather than say, rather than have, like, health officials in this country say, this is really complex, and we don't know, but we're trying to figure it out, they just say it doesn't exist. Right. I think that that's something I've noticed with doctors in general in the medical community in general is that they just really want to slap an answer on it. Whatever it is, you know, it's like, oh, you're having gut issues, IBS. There's your there's your totally elusive, like, non-answer answer, right? right? And then with with uh, anything elusive, they, they usually slap autoimmune on it these days. And a lot of people tell me equate Lyme disease with autoimmune disease. I'm mm-hmm. like, it is not the same thing. No. Lyme is not autoimmune, but it's like there's this there's this umbrella of like things that aren't totally understood and they all just kind of get shoved to the side because there's a, there's a shame in not understanding or knowing all the answers. There's a lot of ego involved. There's a lot of ego involved. You know, I have a, I have a doctor, uh, Dr. Leo Gallen, who's an internist here in New York city and he's been treating me for several years. Such a good guy. And whenever he, you know, he's not quote unquote a Lyme, you know, he's not a Lyme, he is a Lyme specialist, but he's also an internist and he does integrative medicine. So it's not just Lyme that he's doing. So if he doesn't believe that you have Lyme. He's not going to say, I think you have Lyme. He's going to suggest to you what he thinks that, you know, he can suggest. He countless times in the early stages of seeing him would look at me and say, I don't know. And it was always such a relief to hear him say, I don't know, you know? I know. And when I started interviewing him, he ended, He was also Kathleen's doctor. So this doctor was in my first film, The Punk Singer. And, um, and he has been interviewed for the film that I'm making now, So Sick. And often he'll say, you know, I don't know. And um, I wish that I did. Or I have some thoughts about it. And uh, I just... With the patient load that I have, I don't have enough time to research it after. It's like some things come out of his mouth that you just don't hear coming out of a lot of doctors' mouths. But, you know, in the end, it's really relieving. It's like I would so much rather hear I don't know than it's not happening, of course. Right. Yeah. So, 
you know, there's a lot that we don't that we don't know about it. Um, but he he describes he was like, you know, what we learn in medical school is to follow, not to lead. We learn to mm. follow. And so if you go into any medical school right now, chances are the information that those people who are in medical school are getting about Lyme disease is inaccurate. It's outdated. It's from 15 years ago. You know, it's from 10 years ago. You've mentioned your new documentary multiple times, and I just want to touch on it. So Sick is what you are making right now. Yeah. And um, it's about Lyme disease, and it follows a group of women, right? Mm -hmm. And so tell us a little bit, tell us a little bit about the film if you want to, and, and what you know, what your intention is and, and how it's helping you heal. Right. So, you know, when I finished the punk singer and, um, you know, in the end, Lyme disease came into the punk singer in a, I feel like a very significant way, but I was also incredibly careful to not make that documentary about Kathleen all about her illness. You know, I wanted it to be about her career. And it is. And it is. And she wanted to be honest and straightforward about what illness she was dealing with, which she did. And I thought that it was, you know, in the end, I was really happy with the amount of airtime that I got because it was impactful. And I feel like people walked away being like, oh, maybe I want to know a little bit more about that. But so in because I was also sick with Lyme disease and co-infections at that time, I felt like it naturally it was the next documentary that was going to be handed to me. Like this, right, crazy thing happened while I was making this documentary and I got the same illness that my subject had. Of course, I'm going to make that documentary. It not was the last... by the way. No. I just feel like we should mention that it is not contagious. Lyme disease because right. this is right. you have to get bit by a tick and yes. that is how you get this yes. disease. Okay, yes. go ahead. Although there are questions about sexual transmission. Oh, I hate those questions. But yes, whether are, or not it's sexually transmitted is, right. is a question. It's a question. But if it were sexually transmitted, which we don't know for sure, the likelihood of it spreading woman to woman would probably be higher than... Um, oh, yeah, which is interesting because they've done studies of looking for the spirochetin, the disease in um, sperm and in vaginal fluid. And um, with a group of people that all have Lyme disease, uh, 50% men and 50% women, um, they only found the spirochetin men's sperm half of the time. And they found it 100% of the time in the vaginal fluid. Okay. So. Needless to say, though, you were not sleeping with Kathleen Hanna. I was so not. So it was not transferred that way. That's right. Okay. So it's not contagious. That's right. <laughs> but so, you know, you would. In a lot of ways, it was it was it was kind of like, oh, this may be the next documentary that I make may have to be about this. But that was the last thing I wanted to do. I was like, I'm ready for something fun. (laughs) You know, I did a long treatment. I was very sick for a very, you know, what felt like a very long time. But in terms of other cases, not necessarily. Um, And when I finally finished my treatment after a year and a half, of antibiotic and pick line IV antibiotics. And I started to get some relief and I felt like, oh, I'm really getting better. 
I didn't even want to talk about Lyme disease. Like it was the last thing I wanted to talk about, let alone make a film about it. So um, it was, I should say that I didn't stay better. Um, I thought that I was healed and that we had caught everything and that I was just going to get healthier and healthier from that point. And unfortunately, that's not what happened. Um, but it was a couple of years, I guess, no, I guess it was only a year and a half after the release of The Punk Singer that I started making the current documentary, So Sick. And um, it did start off as a documentary about women with late stage Lyme. And as often happens with documentaries, three years later, it's it's opened up a lot more um, from that, what I, from the documentary I thought I was initially making. And that is because I was seeing so many, in, in the research that I was doing, I was seeing so many similarities um, between women with late stage and chronic Lyme um, symptomatically um, with people who are suffering from chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, ME, um, fibromyalgia, uh, several other autoimmune illnesses. And I kept trying to push those diagnoses away from what I was making. And the more research I did, the more that I uncovered that actually we, we know so little about any of these things. Mm. But the one thing that we do know is that it's all of these, all of these illnesses and diagnoses um, are often involved with the immune system and they are at really, really high rates of infecting and affecting women. So, you know, I feel like what the film is turning into now is a lot more about women's health. Oh, cool. I actually, I didn't know that. I love that. And, it, you know, my subjects, the main subjects are, are dealing with Lyme disease, late stage Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease. Um, but one's gone on now to, um, you know, more complex illnesses that have developed since we started making the film. And so she's dealing with problems with mold and multiple chemical sensitivities. Um, I feel like I'm dealing with more than just Lyme at this point, you know, and I don't know that I have persistent Lyme, but I have persistent symptoms. Right. Yeah. And so it, it's instead of this documentary about, you know, that that could be a documentary that I believe is going to deliver a ton of answers. That's not what it is. It, it, it's turning into this documentary that's going to hopefully deliver some important questions and reveal some important information that I don't think is in plain sight of people that are just walking around. And that very much has to do with women's health and um, what we don't know about women's health. Oh, God, it's such a great topic. I mean, look at my podcast. Like, this, this is episode 14, and I've had two men on, mm -hmm. one who's a practitioner mm -hmm. and one who is sick. Right. And like, it's not because I, I want all females on this podcast. It's because 
more women are sick than men. And when it comes to autoimmune disease, you know, they have a number. They say 75% more women are, are sick than, than men. Men don't really, it's the, the ratio is like ridiculous. Um, and some of that has to do with our estrogen levels. And some of it has to do with how Mm -hmm. wacky our immune systems are, because we have to both be prepared to like hold a fetus and fight things that are, that are, um, outside forces off. So Mm -hmm. it's very confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, here we go with the complex thing again, right? We are really complex. And hor- yeah, and hormones have a lot to do with it. And what we are looking when we're talking about late stage and chronic Lyme, um, and we're talking about several different autoimmune illnesses and things like chronic fatigue, ME, or fibromyalgia. The rates for chronic fatigue, ME, and rates for fibromyalgia, I believe, are around 90% women. Mm-hmm. Um, with late stage chronic Lyme um, and or chronic persistent Lyme, it looks like around 90% women as well. Wow. And, um, you know, these are really, really high rates. And so when I go to try to figure out why those rates are so high, all I can find is that they haven't looked at us. It's not, it's not that it's a mystery illness. The mystery is that they're not looking at us. Oh. So what I've been able to uncover doing the re- in the research is it, it, it's blowing my mind. You know, I'm like, oh, we, you know, it's 2018. Of course we study women at the same rate that we study men in medical study. You know, of course, of course it's got to be equal. It, that's not that's not true. It's completely wrong. And also what we're looking at is what we know now is that women's immune systems are completely different than men's immune systems. But there is this major thing, which is uh, it, for me to make this statement, like I have to be very careful. I have enough information through other women that I've researched that are brilliant that have written the papers that are you know published on the NIH website to be able to make the statement to say that there is not gender equality within medical research in this country. And it's not on the cellular level. It's not on the animal level of testing of mice and rats. It's not on the human level, clinical, any of it. And what... Mm. We, what I've been able to find out is that we're looking at men's bodies more often than we're looking at women's bodies. And why are we doing that? Again, here comes the word complexity, but it also has to do with money. So what happens when you go into a study and you're, you're looking at female, male um, subjects, whether they be, whether it be cellular or animals or humans, um, because of our hormones, women are producing conflicting results to those studies. So it depends on where they are in their menstrual cycle. Whereas with men, they're producing consistent, predictable results. And so think about it. You are a group of scientists, and what data do you want to analyze? Do you want to analyze the data that's coming back the same each time so that you'll get the next grant? You do. Or do you want to analyze the data that conflicts and says that you're getting different results than you got the last time? You don't because you want to get funded again. So 
this is kind of this is kind of wordy, but I'm just going to spit it out anyway. In 1993, the president was Bill Clinton. He signed something called the 1993 Revitalization Act. It demanded gender equality and racial equality within medical testing in the United States of America. So that meant that any government funding that was going to go to NIH, it was demanding that we were taking race and gender and sex into consideration and that it was that, that we were going to have equality. So that act was signed by Bill Clinton in 1993. Two years ago, a really brilliant woman at the Yale um, Women's Health Center wrote a report that was basically a report card on the National Institutes of Health. And it broke down year by year from 1993 to 20 years later. Um, so she, her report showed like a year by year report card of the National Institutes of Health. And they failed on gender equality every single year. So this 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 bill was signed by Bill you know Bill Clinton signed President Bill Clinton signed this revitalization act in 1993 but it had no consequences attached to it. And so every single year since then there hasn't been a year that we've reached equality, gender equality or racial equality within within testing and within research. And so we really don't know. Um, and, you know, that is a little bit of the core of where the film started to take a turn for me. You know, I was like, wow, this isn't, this isn't just about Lyme disease. This isn't just about chronic fatigue, ME, or, fibr or fibromyalgia, or any of these different illnesses. We can't even really for me, I can't even go much further with the Lyme disease thing without stopping everything to say, I don't even want to hear, I, I, at this point, I don't even want to hear what doctors have to tell me until they can tell me that they've, the information that they're giving me came from a study on a woman's body. And they don't know the, and most doctors don't know the answer to that. Right. Wow. Thank you so much for all of that information. So I think that what's another layer of this too is that women and so I, I wrote about women's immune systems and why are women getting so sick you know and one of the layers was this stress this level of mm -hmm. stress that we have and and often um how much we expect of ourselves mm -hmm. um it's different than than men we we tend to uh put everything together in our brain we consider everyone and everything we do we think about a million different things at once and um men don't mm -hmm. they are much more able to compartmentalize mm -hmm. so one of the things that kept coming back in the research I was doing that women is just that women are, have a tendency to be much harder on themselves, to push mm -hmm. themselves harder. And what you were talking about was the shame you felt in, in getting the Lyme diagnosis. And I felt a ton of shame and self-hatred and like it shouldn't be. And then doctors add to it really and mm -hmm. tell you you're crazy and tell you it's stress and tell you this and that. And how do you, how do we combat that, right? Because in order to get well, really, you need to manage your stress mm -hmm. level mm -hmm. and, and, and have a ton of self-care. And we were talking about this before the episode when the weekly challenge is coming up. We're going to talk about that. And we were just talking about how to best take care of yourself. And I think that 
as a woman and as a man, I think it's hard for everybody, but we tend, especially now in the 21st century, there's a lot of pressure on us to not only look good, but to be performing well at work and to, mm-hmm. to do the home stuff and to like never age and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how do we, how do we best take care of ourselves and like let ourselves rest or take it easy? And you were talking about, uh, some of the ways you've done that. So will you share a little bit about that, that journey? Yeah. With us? Well, it's the hardest thing for me to practice right out loud. I think in many ways I'm working on this film so that I can learn from my subjects and the experts about how to better take care of myself. So it's doing two things. It's doing several things. It's like, I think that by the time we finish the film, it's going to be of service to a lot of people. Um, I think that I, I have already learned so much more about myself from other women who are dealing with this and from experts and from all the research that I've done. Um, but I don't think that I get to those things on myself. It's super hard to care about yourself so full time every single day. It is a full time job. I mean, every minute of every waking day, what, I should be doing is being uh, like aware of my health and my surroundings and it's exhausting. I actually don't care about myself that much. You know, I wish I could say that I did, <laughs> but I don't. And so there's tricks, there's tricks to it. But you know, what it is really, really, really helpful is to look at some of the science behind this and, and to get the confirmation that you're actually not exaggerating and you're not nuts. Um, what, you know, the, these, uh, <laughs> another thing that here's a great example that uh, in the research that I came across is 80% of the drugs that the FDA releases out into the market, 80% of the drugs that get recalled because of adverse effects are recalled because of adverse effects to women. Wow. 80%. So one of the funnier, one of the funnier or more ironic things that I found out in my research was that the first time estrogen was released onto the market um, as a prescription by the FDA, um, it was released onto the market um, and it had only been tested on men. There wasn't one woman in the study for estrogen before. Stop it! Before they released it onto the market. That's- fucking crazy so now this is hilarious right so now you can find this information this information jackie is all over the place but when i found out about the estrogen thing about estrogen being released without ever being tested on women i found that out from a video on the yale women's health center um, website it's this little video and yes it's on youtube and you can find it there are 300 views on it, right? Because it's a horror, you know, I, I love the Yale Women's Health Center, but they're not filmmakers. You know what I mean? Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a little video that they did. And so it, what kind of started coming together to me as I started making this film is like, oh, I am an artist, right? And so I need to be finding, I'm not a scientist, all, everything that I'm like spewing out is the work of other really smart people that study t- statistics and medicine and bodies. Like they're out there, but the general public isn't interacting with them. And kind of like how I was talking about the neurologist who didn't know how to talk to patients earlier, 
these researchers are not meant to be able to deliver digestible information to the masses. Mm -hmm. But artists are. Like, we make films for people to get interested in and get sucked into. So the best collaboration that I can think of at this point is to find the smartest women that I can find and experts. And I say women because that's really who I want to hear from right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for a million reasons. Um, but I will seek out these women who are experts in these fields. And then I will try to take what I know about media and storytelling and blend those two things so that the information can get to the people. I'm not surprised that the videos on the Yale Women's Health Center website only have 200 and 300 views. Right. The, the, you know, they're, they're not made for consumption in that way. Right, right, right. So... So that's so interesting. Wow. So yeah, so it is helpful to have that information. It's also helpful if you're out there with Lyme disease uh, to know that, yeah, you're, you're probably not making up. It's a really serious disease. And like, just as it's helpful to have the information and the science about what it's like to be a woman suffering from illness, I think it's important too that people know that Lyme disease is fatal, mm-hmm. which is a hard sentence to say, but mm-hmm. Lyme disease is fatal. It's serious. Yes, yes. It's debilitating. You know people who have died. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, suicide is a, a high, high rate of death. Suicide is a really high rate of death because, death because it's a neurological disease and you get really depressed and really lonely and really isolated and people don't understand and doctors are telling you you're crazy. Like and your family doesn't believe you. Your, your friends don't fucking believe you. Family. I mean, it's like it's, on and on and on. The mental health part of it in terms of not ending your own life is, you know, it's a whole other subject. It's super serious. But, you know, each time one of these patients with late stage or chronic Lyme disease ends their own life, that's not being recorded right. as being related to that. It's being recorded as a suicidal person, not as a sick suicidal person. So mm-hmm. that's important to note. And then I want to jump back to the thing that you said about stress because it's yep. so, so important. And Without fail, all the conversations that I've had, and I've had conversations with hundreds of women with late-stage Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease at this point, almost like without fail, they have told me that when they go to the doctor, they don't feel like they can bring their depression or their anxiety into the room with them. Like they don't want to mention that they're that they have past trauma or depression or anxiety, and then they're also having these neurological symptoms, and they're also having, you know, these breathing problems or these rashes, because you feel like you're not going to be taken seriously, and you're, everything is just going to point to your trauma, mm-hmm. right? Which is what happened with me in the neuro- right, neurologist. Right. For my own self, at this point, during the research, I started reading these really incredible books also along with doing the like totally dense research. But I read books like um, The Body Keeps the Score, which mm. is really amazing. I don't know if you've read that. Yeah, no, I haven't read it, but it's it's hu- it's actually on my list. Yeah. I'm such a nerd about this stuff now. I love it. A new book by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, who's a pediatrician out of San Francisco, um, just came out and it's about chronic stress in children. Um, so what happens, uh, you know, what I've been able to find out about toxic stress is that, you know, when you are a little kid, your immune system is developing. If your body is in a pretty consistent form of stress, 
um, if it's in a uh, in a state of uh, the fight, flight, or freeze being triggered, your immune system is adapting to that stress. So fight or flight or freeze is being built into your immune system. So at this point, when I, and I have a lot of trauma, unfortunately, in my childhood. And there's, you know, there's something called uh, the ACEs study. We did a whole episode on this, on the ACEs study, actually, episode number four. I think it's great. And we always come up with, uh, I try to talk to everyone I talk to about illness, about their past trauma, and if they're healing it. But so I love that you're, you're doing this and you're putting the pieces together that you, I have it too. My ACEs score is like an eight, I think, out of 10. And that's right, (laughs) right, 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 right. Um, But there is this really basic for those those um, listeners should go back to your episode number four and listen to it. But for me, I am also, there's like a, a score that you can, there's a test that you, there's some questions that you can answer and, and there are 10 questions and each question delivers a point. Um, and you have this score between zero and 10. And, uh, you know, the higher the score is, um, the more um, complexities you're going to have within your health. So for me at this point, as somebody with an eight and a half or a nine on that test out of 10, um, when I am dealing with toxic stress in my life, what I believe is happening at this point is that it's triggering my immune system and my immune system may be mimicking a lot of the symptoms that I had when I was dealing with late stage Lyme, or I could have persistent persistent Lyme. It kind of doesn't, at this point, nobody's gonna be able to give me a definitive yes or no. So we're at this point right now where we have to take it into our own hands and find our own modes of healing. But taking a look and taking into account the toxic stress that's in our life now and what's been in our past, I just feel like is such an important puzzle piece to know what may be going on with your body, number one, but also how we have to treat our bodies currently. I agree. And what an incredible point of compassion to have for ourselves. Um, you know, to we were talking and I want to get to the inner child stuff because it's the weekly challenge is, is here's the weekly challenge, everybody. It's Here to it take full time care of yourself, to take se- care of yourself full time like you are a little little child put a picture of yourself at five years old at four years old at three years old up somewhere in your house where you will see it often and take care of yourself like you are that kid Mm -hmm. and the idea is like yeah I went through so much you went through so much as a child you know like oh little sinny like little sinny my goodness little jackie little little, jackie that is so much trauma and stuff to carry boys and little girls like it happens to everybody but what we know though now is that men and women actually do process uh toxic stress in different ways Mm. and women um it, it just holds on in the body in a different way than it holds on for men but i really want you to tell us because we really need to get to wrapping up but i want you to give us an example so if you take the best care of yourself Mm. over a week Mm -hmm. right and you take care of that that little girl will you just walk us through a day of what doing that would look like for you well i've had to figure out how to do this because as i said a little bit earlier it's just like i don't care that much about myself you know what i mean it's like 
such a drag, but I did do this like um, a long time ago and I am like a self-help like you know, I just soak in anything like self helpy. I love it. Like it's entertainment for me. <laughs> like I find it entertaining to listen to self help books on tape, you know, or uh-huh. like audiobooks. So, um, you know, many years ago, I did a, a year long workshop that was about self parenting. And because I did have a traumatic childhood and I didn't, I wasn't taking very good care of myself. And it was in that workshop that I kind of, had to like, I was like willing to do anything to heal, you know? So I was like, okay, you want me to look at my inner kid? All right, let's look at her. And I did have this amazing, you know, kind of bonding experience and also heartbreak for the ways in which I ignore myself. Mm -hmm. But if I think about myself as a kid and I think about that little kid, Cinny, and I think, okay, that kid is my kid. Would I put her through what I put myself through on a daily basis? And the answer is always no. I would never do that to her. Like if my kid was sick, I would not expect her to go to school for 12 hours and then to carry home a heavy backpack. And then when she gets home, just say, no, I know you're tired. Do your homework. You're going to do your homework. I know that you're tired and you want to go to bed, but you have to clean the house. So clean the house. Exactly. I would never abuse a child in the way that, you know, I mean, in abuse is a heavy word, but I I just would never put my kid through what I I put myself through. So, yeah, do the thing of the cheesy thing of like finding a picture of yourself and being like, what would I do to my kid? You know, how would I treat my kid? I would make my kid a hot bath. I would be quiet with her. I would try to make the most like comfortable and secure and safe surroundings. And you'd make sure she ate. I make sure she ate something what she nutritious. I would you'd have make her sure drink she water. had enough water. You know, all of these things that are really put on hard her comfiest clothes. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like the master of comfort. Uh huh. Like anybody knows. Like. If they want stuff to like feel good, like I am the faggot to go to. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like down to like what the sheets are, what it smells like. It's always very clean. It's like all of these things. And it's always helped me. But I just I have to do it to a different level now. Right. And I'm way better at doing it for other people than I am than doing it for myself. So great weekly challenge to think about how I would do this. And if you can't get down with your inner kid, just think about somebody that you really adore, that you care about a lot, and think about, okay, this person that I adore, whether it be my best friend or my boyfriend or my girlfriend, they were struggling and really having a health crisis. How would I take care of them? Exactly. And the, the challenge here, you guys, is to not do it one day, to not do it for, for a portion of the day, but to really do it all day day every day for seven days and you won't be able to do it Mary mother of Jesus you won't be able to do it because who can especially these days I mean everyone's busy or you're not I mean I was very sick for a while and I was not busy um so like you also you also need to but that is a different kind of busyness it is a different kind of my body was busy. Um, so I think, you know, for me that it's a great challenge for me because I go through phases and then I forget once I feel really good, I kind of just like let it go. But of course you do because you want to get back to like, 
Hey, just pushing I'm it. somebody who can handle, I mean, I used to be an assistant director before I was directing. Like I can handle a lot of stress and a lot of working and I actually thrive under those things. And that's the story that I tell myself. And the reality <laughs> is, is that I can't anymore. Yeah. And that's, same here. And that's, it's, I just want to look at it as a different experience and not as a bad experience. It's just like you actually did that. You thrived on that for a long time. Try to, you know, it's time to try something different. Yeah. So we're all going to slow down the week this airs. Um, and, and that you goes know. for the news for me. And, I don't know about you. Okay, yeah. So maybe you gotta. Yeah, I can. I can only listen to so much NPR, and um, NPR is the only news I listen to because it's the only stuff that doesn't like tax my system to an extreme degree. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So maybe you have to not look at the news for a week. Maybe you have to. Oh my um, god! Can you imagine how hard that is going to be? For for you, not for everyone. Right. But you're gonna do it. You got a couple weeks before this episode airs. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe Trump will be in jail by then. <laughs> yeah, and then there will be nothing to read. Right. <laughs> um, so, you guys, I want to hear all about how you do this, and I want to be inspired us. by your stories. So, hashtag um, TSAN Weekly Challenge, and or find me on Instagram and at Shay Jackie. That's my name, and you can find me there. And I want to hear and see, and I will be keeping you posted. On how I do it, um, I will post a picture of my little little Jay. Oh my God, I can't wait to see little Jay. Um, she needs a lot of love. So thank you so much, Cindy. Good you're, luck editing that. You're, <laughs> you're amazing, <laughs> um, and that was such a wealth of you're such a wealth of knowledge. And if you want to find Cindy, there is a so sick uh, Facebook page that you should find Cindy at and anywhere else people should you know you can I don't I don't tweet a lot because that got kind of ruined for me um with the current administration (laughs) um but there is a so if you look up so sick film on Facebook you'll see a little bit about the film and where are we now we are in uh February of 2018 and so just to let people know um I need to raise the right amount of money to finish the film. I believe I'm about 40% into production right now. Um, And the goal would be to finish in the next year. So, you know, that's what we're really, really, really pushing for. And if the right financing comes, then it can be finished in that time. Amazing. Um, Yeah. And I feel like now is really the time for this film to come out. I agree completely. I think it's the best time. So. so if this is something that you're able to help fund, reach out to Cine definitely on that app. And it, of course, if you can't find it, just write to me and I will I will get you in touch. Um, also, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and follow me on Too Sick and Naked. And, and, and we'll see you next week. Bye.